But if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm the intern pastor here at the church, uh, and it's just so good to be here. So good to see your faces. Did anyone have a really, really great week this week? Wow, rough week. Man, I had a wonderful week. It was my birthday. It was my birthday week. Oh, man. Birthday weeks are the best. And I, I feel like your birthday is the one and only good day of social media, right? Because it's the one day that it's just nothing but positive things, and you can ignore all the other clutter. Uh, and the thing that I actually really do love is I love just seeing names pop up, people that I haven't interacted in a while. Uh, and then there's like the random person like, who are you? Right? But it's just like I, I, I see people's names, and then I remember the stories, I see their names, and I, I remember the times we hang out, times that we laugh, times that we shared meals together, uh, and it's just a really powerful thing to have that shared story, uh, and it's even just hearing uh, Dan and April's story, it's just like, it's just there's so much power that when we can share a story together, that when we have that, uh, as the church, we have that shared story that creates our identity, right? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and then as a, as a community, as Mosaic, we have our shared story, which is in our name. It's in our metaphor. We are Mosaic. We're all broken and fragmented in some way or another. But when we come together and we allow God to shape us, and we allow his light to shine through us, we become a Mosaic. We become a beautiful work of art. And so this is, this is our story. We're a community of grace. We're a community of people who proclaim we're broken. We have our own unique ways of brokenness, and we're all different. Uh, but when we come together, God can really turn our brokenness into something beautiful, which is a big part of why we're in this series called Kingdom of Losers, right? Because a lot of times we think of winning and losing. Winning is good. Losing is bad. Uh, but what Jesus says is he says, you need to lose your life in order to find it. And so really the, the overarching question I want us to ask ourselves today is, what is that story that is defining our life? And are we willing, and are, are we willing to allow another story to change us? Are we willing to accept another story? Because that's really what Jesus does in his parables, right? So in this series, we're going through the parables that Jesus told, the stories that he told. Because what he's trying to do in his parables, he's, he's trying to say, this story has defined you right? And you think that the world runs this way, but what if the world ran this way, right? So it's always Jesus is telling these stories to try to get people to change their mind because they're thinking a certain way about the way that the world works or the way that faith works, uh, and Jesus is flipping it on its head. And so we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk about the power of story. We're going to talk about um, the parable of the rich fool, uh, but, and we're also going to see how that's not just talking about money. And then really, I want us to really ask ourselves the question, are we willing to change our mind about something? And we're going to explore this Greek word that's going to get us to change our mind. So that's where we're going today. That's where we're going to rock and roll with. Uh, I was reading this article this week in Wired Magazine, just talking about the power of stories, the power that stories carry. And the reason why is because we as human beings, we create, uh, our brain sees patterns. We see patterns in nature. We see pattern in faces. We see patterns in sound and music. 
And what we do is we as humans, we create stories. And so what they did is that in 1944, they did this study. Massachusetts College did this study where they just showed inanimate objects moving about on a screen. And they, told, they asked people what they saw. And what they told was a story. I actually have a video clip. Can you pull up that video clip? It should be at the bottom there. Let's see what you guys see. Right? And so everyone that they ask the question, what do you see? They tell a story. Because you got this big triangle that's kind of bullying the little one. And then you have this circle that's running from the big triangle. And so, and so what we do in that video is we see ourselves in that a little bit. Because we remember those times that we were bullied by someone bigger than us. We kind of feel for, like, we create these characters in our mind. But it's just triangles and circles and a rectangle on a screen. And so we as humans, we are designed and we are built to create stories. And that's why Jesus uses the power of a story. Even think about it, what are, what are the parts of the Bible that you remember if you've ever read the Bible before? Typically, the parts that we remember are the narratives. We remember the stories. We remember Adam and Eve and Noah and Jonah. Uh, so, and that's why in kids' ministry, typically you do a lot of Old Testament stories and a lot of Jesus' parables. Because we think in terms of story. Uh, there's this... Um, author and uh, professor at New York University. He's, his name is uh, Jonathan Haidt, and he says, the human mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. And, and C.S. Lewis, he also said, he says, uh, in reading great literature, we become a thousand humans and yet remain myself. Because when we read great stories, we find ourselves in the story. Right? Like the night sky in a Greek poem, I see with a myriad eyes, but it's still I who see. Can we go to the next slide? Here, as in worship and love and moral action and knowing, I transcend myself, and I am never more myself than when I do. Because when we find ourselves in the story, we get to experience the emotions of that person in the story, and that story begins to shape us. And so we as humans, we crave stories, we desire stories, because we find connection in our stories. I remember when I was in high school, I was really excited to go see one of my favorite bands. Uh, they were coming to town, I bought the tickets like six months in advance, and night of, I'm just, I'm so pumped, I'm so excited. I go to the concert, and I remember about three quarters of the way through the concert, I realized that the musicians and the lead singer didn't even say hello to us. They just got up there, they played their music, and I kept waiting for them to just say, how are you guys doing tonight? Are you guys having a good time? Right? Because the thing about when you go to a show is is you want to see your favorite band, but you also want a connection. You also want to hear a little bit of their story. You want to hear a little bit of how they were inspired to write the song. You want to hear a little bit about the journey that they've been on, and we got nothing. And I remember walking away from that night just feeling so disappointed Uh, And I couldn't articulate why, and it's because what I really craved in that moment is I wanted a connection. I wanted to share a story with one of my favorite bands on stage, uh, and I didn't get that. And I didn't get that, and I felt this longing and this desire. And so really, what, what 
what I want us to do today is I want us to understand the power of that shared connection, the power of that shared story, which is really, in essence, the beauty of the church. It's the beauty of the story that we share. It's the reason why it's important for us as people to really get connected to those who we call our church family. Because as we, uh, as we serve together, as we meet together during the week, as we hang out, as we have meals, uh, as we serve, what happens is we begin to share these stories. And you share these connections, and then those connections grow. And so what I want us to do is I want us to explore this. Uh, but actually, before we do that, the big reason why is think about who your best friends are in your life. Think about your best friend or your closest family member. And now what you do is when you think about that person, think about all the stories that you share with that person. Right? Think about all the adventures that you went on, all the times you got in trouble, all the times you did something stupid, you did something silly. Uh, and those, that's that connection that builds us uh, and grows us. And so really today what we want to explore is we want to explore this story uh, of the rich fool that Jesus tells Because what he's really showing us in this story is he's showing us this parallel between uh, what we think is a winner, Jesus is saying is not. This person is a loser, right? So let's read the story one more time. Uh, John read it earlier during the songs, but uh, let's read it again. It's found in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This man's a winner. This man is rich. And he's even richer because he even got more wealth and abundance. Because in this society... If you're rich and if you get an abundance of crops, uh, what they would say is this person is blessed. God has favored this person because this person has stuff and he's getting more stuff, right? So then he thought to himself, uh, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever that stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, this story, you don't have to dig too far to really see what Jesus really wanted us to get out of it, right? Because he tells us in this very last line, whoever, this is how it is for us when we store up things for ourselves, but we're not rich towards God, right? How are we rich towards God? Like, what should this person have done in this story to be rich towards God? God tells us right at the beginning of the Bible when he talks to Abraham, one of the first things he says to Abraham is, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Why? Why am I going to bless you, Abraham? I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. And so this person is blessed, but he missed the second part. You're blessed not to sit. You're blessed not to uh, just relax. You're blessed so that you have this stuff that you can use to bless the world. 
And so Jesus is, he's trying to flip everything on its head in this moment because we have to understand in their minds, they would see this person as a winner. This person has God's favor. This person has God's blessing. And this person does have blessing, but this person uh, has not stepped into that reality of what God wants us to step into is to be a blessing to others. Now, a lot of times, sometimes when you hear this story, sometimes uh, it can get misinterpreted. And you can think to yourselves or you hear people say, well, this means that you just need to give all of your money away. You need to give all of your surplus away. Uh, I, I don't think this parable is telling us it's a bad thing to save money or it's even a bad thing to have wealth or possessions. But what it's really telling us is uh, where are you putting uh, your trust? Where are you putting those things that you really, uh, where, where are you putting everything in your life? Rocking and rolling, yes. <laughs> it's good, it's good. <laughs> It'll stop eventually, we hope. Um, so what Jesus is really trying to say in this moment, he's saying, what are you truly putting your trust in? Are you putting it in your money? Are you putting it in your things? Right? Because at the end of the day, right, every single one of us in this room and every person who has ever lived, uh, we have experienced something at the end of our life called death. Right? And when we die, we carry nothing. We are empty-handed right? Into that place, we carry nothing. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, don't you realize you're putting so much of your faith in the things that you have? You're putting so much faith in all of these things, and you don't even realize that this is actually your final day. This was your opportunity uh, to really truly show uh, where you're putting your faith, where you're putting your trust, right? And you had the opportunity, and you missed it. And how often do we miss that opportunity? How often do we, as people, do we say, I missed it. I kind of dropped the ball here. And this story, what it's telling us is that the person who is the winner is actually the loser. And what we don't realize is that in our losing, that is the mechanism of grace. Uh, Robert Kappen, he's been really the main influencer of this series. He wrote a book on the parables called Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. And what he says is he says, losing... Losing is the mechanism of grace, right? It's not by winning. It's not by getting all these things, right? But it's when we lose everything, when we lose ourselves, because when we've defined ourselves by our successes, when we've defined ourselves by all of our achievements and all of our talent, uh, we're defining ourselves in something that's empty. When that's our story, what all the things that we've done and all the things that we've achieved it's always going to, in the end, going to leave us empty when we put our faith in those things. But when we lose our addiction to those things, that's when we begin to find grace, right? Uh, and so Jesus, he, uh, he, he tells another story. He actually has an interaction with, a, with another rich man. And I want to read this story as well. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories, I think, because the opening line. It's found in Mark chapter 10. It's actually found in three of the Gospels, all three except for the book of John. And it starts out and it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell to his knees before him. And he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? This is the question. Right? This is the softball question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Right? And even you see this question and you think to yourself, I know what 
99% of evangelicals are going to say to this question. We know what the answer to this question is, right? Uh, and so he asks the softball question, and then this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, why do you call me good? <laughs> Interesting response. No one is good, right, except God alone. In a sense, Jesus is trying to get this guy to realize, like, you're seeing this as something you can win. You're seeing this as something that you can achieve again. You're a rich person, and you just, you, you, you just want to collect this, right? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, give false testimony, defraud, honor your father and mother. Because he's trying to get this person to realize, like, where have you dropped the ball? Right? Because you think that you're a winner, but you have to understand the way that we enter into this kingdom, the way that we embrace grace is when we embrace uh, the things that we've lost. Right? And so then the guy says to him, he says, uh, teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Very little self-awareness. <laughs> right? Because little boys do not honor their father and mother. Right? If you have kids, you'd understand that. Uh, I love this line. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Um, I think that's a really important critical line. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. Uh, because Jesus loves us even when we're lost. Uh, we, we had the very first parable that, we, that Jeff preached about was the prodigal son, the lost son. Uh, there's and the lost sheep, the lost coin. Jesus looks at him because he's lost. Or Jesus loves him because he's lost. Because Jesus doesn't love us when we get it right. Jesus loves us when we get, get, get it wrong. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. <laughs> what if someone said, what must I do to go to heaven? You said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I think there'd be a lot less people in church, right? Uh, because what Jesus is trying to get this man to realize is he's not saying, this is the literal thing that you have to do, that every single person that wants to follow me, every single time, this is what they need to do. He's not setting up this, this sinner's prayer that you pray this prayer, you give away all your money, and then you're in. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to reveal to this man, you think that you've won everything, you think that you have it. You think that you have everything. You think you understand it. But I want you to understand that you're lost. I want you to understand where you are lost. And so he points out to himself everything you have. Because just like the parable of the rich fool, he's put all of his trust in his winnings. He's put all of his trust in the things that he's attained and his successes. And Jesus is trying to say, no, I want you to, you have to understand that the way through this gate the way into this kingdom. And a lot of times we think, we always think the afterlife, right? When we see Jesus say kingdom of God. But with Jesus, when he says kingdom of God, he, it's anything that is under the rule and reign of God, right? So that starts here and now, not just for eternity. Eternity is part of it, but it starts here and now. So Jesus is telling this person, everything needs to be under God's reign. Everything needs to be under God's rule. And this area of your life is not. So, if you want to be fully in the kingdom, under the rule and reign of God, this has a hold of you. So give it up. Lose it. Become a loser by losing it. And then, what happens is, 
uh, the man walks away sad. Uh, and Jesus looked around and said to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, this is a game that I feel like we all lose at. <laughs> We're all, we all fall into this trap. This trap that says, uh, I'm going to put my faith in money. No matter how many times we say it, no matter how many times we read it, no matter how many times we watch a documentary about someone who is a musician and they make it to the top and it's empty, or an actor who makes it to the top and it's empty, or an entrepreneur who makes it to the top and it's empty, no matter how many times we hear these stories, we don't believe it. No matter how many times we hear these stories, we still think, I will be happy if I achieve this next level, this next level financially, this next level in my career, this next level in my life. If I can just get the family I've always dreamed of in my head, then I will be happy. Right? We all fall into this trap. And then I think that's why the brilliant theologian Jim Carrey, he says... Right? He says, I wish everybody could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Right? From the person who's the pinnacle of his career, one of the top comedians in the world, right? no matter how many times we hear this story, we still don't believe it. It's a story that's been told for thousands of years, uh, and we still don't get it. That what Jesus is trying to do in his kingdom is he's trying to flip his kingdom. Because kingdoms of this world, they are built on winners. Kingdoms of this world, they're built on strength and power. And what Jesus is saying, if you're wealthy, give it away. If you're powerful, give it away. If you're successful, give it away. Flip it on its head. Right? You were told that if you uh, have possessions and blessings, it means that God loves you. Change your mind on that. Right? Because blessed are the poor, Jesus says. You've believed that money is going to comfort you. Change your mind. You've believed that success is the key to happiness. Change your mind. You believe that happiness is found in your winning. Change your mind. Right? Jesus actually says this, uh, this word is found all throughout the New Testament. Change your mind. Right? But it doesn't get translated that way. It's the Greek word for repentance. The Greek word repent is the word metanoia, right? The word metanoia, if you break it down, meta means to change. Noia is your mind or your brain. Change your mind, right? So when Jesus is walking around saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near, he's saying, change your mind, right? You think that God's kingdom is this way. No, change your mind. You think that the world is run this way. No, 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 change your mind, right? And then Paul, he says, transform your mind. Let Christ transform our mind. Because a big part of it, though, it's the stories that we tell. It's the reason why we take communion as often as we do. Because it's that story that we're continually reminding ourselves, which is that we die to ourselves so that Jesus can live through us. So I'll ask it again. What is that story that are you holding on to that you just need to let go of? 
What's that story of success or that story of utter failure that you're just holding on to and you know that just needs to be released? I know what mine is. Uh, five years ago, I was living in California, and uh, in that season of my life, I was really trying hard to be a filmmaker. It was my dream. I, I got to work on some cool projects, uh, and then had the worst experience of my life working for a visual effects company, and I quit that job, and I said, I'm just going to go freelance. Has anyone ever worked freelance? It's the worst. Or at least I was really bad at it. I should say that. I was terrible at freelance. Uh, thankfully, Nicole worked because we actually had food on the table because she worked for real. Um, I just pretended. But I remember one day I got this email, and uh, it was from this author that I've read a couple of his books before. Uh, he's a Christian author. Some of you probably heard of him. His name is Rob Bell. Uh, and he's a kind of a controversial figure in the church nowadays. He said some things people didn't like because we want to win. We want to be right. And so then when someone says something that you don't like, you just kind of push back and you argue and you say you're a heretic, case closed. Um, but so I got this email and I thought like someone like signed me up for like a newsletter. I was like, what? how am I getting an email? But it was actually from him, this author. And so I read the email after a week of it sitting in my inbox because I just thought it was spam. Uh, and it said, hey, I, I want to. I have this TV show idea. Someone gave me your contact information. Would you want to help me film it, make it happen? Uh, he said it was like a spec, and he needed to use it to pitch it to some uh, TV TV uh, channels and stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll help you out. I was freelance, which means uh, my friend, his name is Lance, and he does freelance. So it literally is always freelance, right? You work for free all the time. Uh, so this was a free project, but I was like, you know what, I'll help him out. Uh, it might give me some good exposure. He might actually sell to his station. And so then we did. We filmed two episodes of this talk show idea that he had. And he had Carlton Cuse attached to it, which is one of the writers of Lost. So I'm like, I got to read one of the writers of Lost, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And it was, it was cool. Like, we did a decent job for, for it being free. Did it sent it off to him, and I didn't hear anything. Uh, about a year and a half goes by, me and Nicole, we moved to Lincoln. I gave up on my freelance dreams and moved to Lincoln. Uh, and so me and Nicole are here. I'm working at Whole Foods on O Street, and I got a phone call on my break. And it was Rob, and he said, hey, we just sold the TV show to Oprah's network, the OWN network, six, six episodes. Do you want to come direct the TV show for me? I was like, what? Yes, I've never done that before, right? So uh, we, we were filming two in May, four in July. And so we, uh, I, f I flew out to California. We made it happen. And uh, I remember when we were getting ready to film the first two episodes, just feeling this anxiety and this fear because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I'd never done anything on that scale before. And now there's a lot of money on the line. Right? And so there's a lot of people, a lot of pressure. And uh, I didn't do very well, I'll be honest. Like, it was just the crew was slow, they were bad. Uh, there were so many technical errors, everything kept breaking down. Uh, during the show, helicopters kept flying overhead, and everyone was like, Is the sound messed up? And I'm like, I don't know. And then the camera guys kept missing shots. And uh, I remember just not handling it really well. 
I just, I remember just being very angry the whole time, very frustrated, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And uh, I remember leaving just thinking like, that wasn't good. Um, And then a couple months goes by and they said, oh, we're going to push back the July shooting to August. Oh, we're going to push it back to November. Oh, we're going to push it back to January, which means it's canceled. And it eventually got canceled. Uh, They ended up airing one episode, which was kind of cool, right? Seeing one episode that I was a part of get put on national television. But I just, there's, I can't help but shake the feeling like how much of that show being canceled was my fault. Like how much, and, and so there's literal moments where I will wake up in the middle of the night in a panic. Because I'm just like, I'm like, I failed. I missed it. I stink. I'm the worst. I'm a loser. But then there's other moments, there's other days where I think about it and I say to myself, and it's kind of like I pump myself up, like I took a risk. I did something big. I did something cool. I actually got to have a TV show on national television. Like that's a big deal. And so in my best and worst moments, I define myself on that one story that happened five years ago, on this failure or this success. And it has this weird effect on me because it's this weird success and failure simultaneously for me. It's a story that I know I just need to let go of. And it's a story that's always going to probably get its, get its claws in me when my weakest moments. But I wonder, what is that story for you? What is that moment in your life where you know that there's this story, you know that there's this thing that you just need to let go of? And you, ne- you need to let a different story uh, speak over you. You know, that's the reason why the parables are so powerful. Because there's so often, there's these stories in our life uh, that are lying to us. They're saying, you didn't win, you lost. Or, you're a winner. Right? There's these stories that we're constantly holding on to, but what Jesus is trying to tell us is he's trying, to, he's trying to proclaim this story over us. Is he saying, you know what? When you win or you lose, God is blessing you. When you win or you lose, God, God is loving you. Right? You think that the world operates where God is only blessing the rich, but actually blessed are the poor. You think that God only blesses the strong, but God actually blesses the meek uh, and, and the weak. And so I wonder, like, where do you find yourself in that story? And really, I love what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? To die to yourself so that Christ can live through you, right? To die to the stories that you're allowing to define you uh, and let Jesus' death and resurrection define your story, right? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, right? Because the patterns of this world says the winners are the ones who are blessed. The winners are the ones who are happy. The winners are the ones who have ultimate fulfillment. Don't conform to that pattern of thinking, but be transformed. How? How do we get transformed? Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our mind. Right? That we metanoia, that we change our minds. We allow this different story to be over us. This story that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, loved us enough to become one of us. And then what do we do? <laughs> we place him on a cross. But then through his losing, through his death, right, we find forgiveness 
of our sins. And then through his resurrection, we find that we can also have eternal life with Christ. And that's the story, right? Because we all see our brokenness. We all are carrying those burdens and those shames. And really, this kingdom of losers, it's embracing that we're just letting go. We're waking up to the fact that if it's a win-lose game, fine, I'll lose, right? We're waking up to the fact that we just, we can let go of these things. We can let go of those stories that define us, and we can let Jesus' story renew our mind to metanoia and to meditate on that. And so what we're going to do after we pray today is we're going to share communion together. And I want communion to be that moment for you where you say, and you make this declaration, Jesus, I want your story to be over me. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to lose. I want to die to myself so that you, Jesus, can live through me. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then the band's going to come up or we're going to play, play and any time during the music, uh, just go up and uh, share communion with us. And if you are new here, uh, we don't require classes or anything for communion, but if you're willing to make that bold declaration, that bold declaration that Jesus, you want him to live through you, uh, and that you want to die to yourself, and you embrace the resurrection Uh, then I want you to share communion with us. Well, Mosaic, how freeing, right? You don't have to be defined by your success. You don't have to be defined by your failure. You don't have to be defined by the times that you got it right, by the times you got it wrong. You don't have to be defined by your sin. You don't have to be by the times that you haven't sinned, right? That God is so full of grace, right? That he loves you so much and your leastness and your lostness that we get to walk out of here with our heads held high, that we get to allow Jesus uh, to define who we are, to define our story, and that we get to share this story together, that we get to allow to have this bond that binds us together as the church, right? And so my encouragement is this, right? My encouragement is what we should learn from today. It's the power of community. It's the power of shared story, that we share this story with Jesus and we share it with each other. So seriously, uh, get plugged in here. Get plugged into what's happening during the week. Serve with us. Uh, talk to me personally. Send us an email. Um, I'd love to help you get connected a little bit more here at Mosaic. Well, hey, as we go, as you go this week, just keep that word in your brain, metanoia. Allow Jesus to consistently change your mind. Allow the Bible as you read it to transform your mind. And as we go, we get to see really cool stuff happen. Uh, together. So let's do that. Let's have a great week, Mosaic. We love you. Awesome. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to change our mind. Transform our minds, Jesus. And my simple prayer today is that all of us in the room, that we will metanoia, that we will change our mind, and that Jesus, you will empower us to do that. That we've allowed all these stories to define who we are. And some of them are great stories, and some of them are lousy stories. 
And so, Jesus, I pray that what we will do is we will lay all of those stories down. We will lay them at your feet and we will say, Jesus, we give you all of our success. Jesus, we give you all of our achievement. We give you all of our wealth. We give you all of our past, all of our pain, all of our struggle. That, Jesus, we come to you empty-handed. We come to you in our least. We come to you in our lowest. We come to you in our lostness. And we simply say, metanoia. Help us to change our mind, to turn away from those things and let your story, Jesus, define us, to unite us as a church, as a family, as Mosaic, that we could walk forward free, that we could walk forward with smiles on our faces because you have defined our story, that it's not a sadness, but it's a strength. So Jesus, I pray in this moment that you will fill us with joy, that you will fill us with this, this passion, that you will allow us to not be defined by what we achieve, but that Jesus, through you, we will see amazing things happen, but we will not be defined by our successes. We will not be defined by our failures. Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. Move in us today. Transform our hearts, transform our lives. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.